2: I'm Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. Right here. When it's too tough for them, it's That's just right. right
0: Presented by Syracuse.com and nyup.com. The
2: Bills make me wanna.
0: Yeah. What is up, everybody? Sunday night, 7.04 p.m. So sorry for the delay on this very, very disappointing episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I know how much was going into this weekend for Bills fans. And as the game started to progress and it was starting to look like a very disappointing result, you know, I've. Ryan, both of you and I can put ourselves in that seat for Bills fans all these years of such high expectations to come out in the opener right like this. I mean, it's, you know, Josh Allen joked about it being like a not joked about it, but called it like kind of like a boxing match. This feels like a a really big, heavy haymaker to the face for Bills Mafia to start the season. We're going to get into what went wrong. Um Some of the overreactions that I think came out of the game, how the Bills are planning to respond in the aftermath, Uh, a lot to get to tonight. Ryan, how are you, my friend?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. And I think, I think you said it well there, Matt, they they took a little bit of a punch to the face here uh, against the Steelers and they took some uh, punches that I think they threw themselves as well to the face. So some, when you have some mistakes on your own end and then you allow the uh, team, to let a team stay in the game, eventually it's going to catch up to you. And that's exactly what happened here on Sunday.
0: So this is the shout bills podcast brought to you by tops, friendly markets. If you haven't noticed on a, on a fun side of things here, uh, it's been a big week for the shout podcast. If you're local in Buffalo and driving down the 190, if you haven't seen the big billboard yet, what are you doing? Get out there this week, uh, brighten up your spirits, get a selfie, get entered into our contest Details about that are on my Twitter page. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy. For football, entertaining, or any occasion, head over to Tops Friendly Markets for more. And I want to start off with, you know, defensively, this was, I, I thought Sean McDermott put it pretty well. I, I wouldn't pin much of this on the defense. This was a game where offensively, the Bills just couldn't figure it out. I I thought that, you know, depending on where you look on social media, there's people coming for Brian Dable. There's people coming for Devin Singletary. I retweeted (laughs) a kind of funny tweet from him. Josh Allen didn't play well. There were some drops. The offensive line, that's probably where I placed the most blame in this game. I thought that not only did they break down in protection and, you know, we could talk about, you know, whose fault that is, and across the board, I thought that there was plenty of blame to go around, but when you let T.J. Watt get into the, the offensive backfield and have this kind of impact in the game, full well knowing last year the job that they did to neutralize him, it's unacceptable. The penalties were terrible for holding calls in the first half, and it, it just completely stymied their dr- their drives. There were drops by receivers, but I'm going to start with the offensive line. I There's a couple reasons why, but And we'll get into it in a minute. Ryan, where do you kind of fall in in terms of blame to go around?
2: Yeah, no, I think you picked a really good uh, choice there with the offensive line. Uh, I'm not going to let, I'll I'll let you talk about that more, but I think you hit the nail on the head this whole week, Matt, where you were talking about Deion Dawkins and what kind of shape was he going to be in over the course of the game. But again, I'll let you get into that. You know, I I guess I would go with the play calling though, if I'm not going to go with the offensive line, there were some real head scratchers and For every bad call, there were a few good ones. Uh, Obviously, Brian Dable called something early in the game where he had Emmanuel Sanders running wide open downfield. Josh Allen just overthrew it. But he kept going to the well with the quarterback uh, keeper in terms of the design quarterback runs. And the Steelers were ready for it all game long. It just was not working. Um, He didn't really utilize the run game, even though Singletary did show some burst early. When he had the production late in the game, I think that was partly just because Singletary, you know, he deserves some credit for that but the defense of the Steelers was playing for the pass, So I think that helped him a little bit there. Uh, the fourth down play was horrendous. The fourth and one, when you have Josh Allen, you have a guy that can get you that yard, two yards, three yards on quarterback keepers. And you decide to pitch it out and get a little bit cute. Cam Sutton made a heads up play mind you, but you know, that was another head scratcher on Sunday.
0: Definitely. Uh, there's a lot of blame to go around for this offense. And I think that part of the problem and, you know, you're seeing it around the league today and some other games is the good defenses are showing up a lot more prepared to play this year. Ryan, I think it's, it really goes to show how important I think the preseason is for defenses to get their calls, right. To get their game planning, right. You know, the defensive coordinator, Keith Gilbert said that they were going to have a plan for Stephon Diggs, And I thought that they did a good job in scheming, for this entire bills wide receiver core. They, they relied on their front four to get pressure. And at times Sean McDermott even said it was just three getting the pressure. They dropped seven back. They played in their zone. Cole Beasley was talking about it with the receivers in the post uh locker room. It was frustrating. There was no one-on-one opportunities to get separation and beat guys and win. They took that away with their scheme. So now Brian Dable and, and company have to go back, make adjustments to that. But let's get back to the offensive line for a minute, because we talked about this. Going into it, I remember on Friday I asked Deion Dawkins specifically, "Where is your um, your conditioning at?" Because we're a few weeks removed, Ryan, from him saying blow like you know he he had to take a couple blows after the first you know walkthrough series of practice, and to go from that from three weeks ago to a full fledged game against this Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line, I just thought it was too much too soon in my opinion. I I, I had concern there. I wrote it in my prediction uh, on the website. Daryl Williams was not good today. and this is a continuation of the struggles that I've noticed from him throughout training camp and maybe something that we should have been talking about a little bit more. This is a guy that signs a big three year contract. You, you give him uh, uh, that big deal, about eight, nine million dollars a deal to be that other bookend. He just was absolutely outplayed by TJ Watt today. And you know one of the things that continues to, to you know confuse me, is no matter what, come hell or high water, they seem determined to rotate Cody Ford. No matter what, what they think about whether where he's at or uh, what they're doing, they just never give this guy a chance to just be a player at a position. And you can have opinions about how good he is. I completely am here for it. I respect it. I think he's got to play better. But I don't know how you can fully judge him if you're never giving him a window of games to get that full snap count. And my point on why I bring that up is you're willing to do that with him. But in Deion Dawkins today, obviously not really fully ready to get out there and go against an elite pass rush like Pittsburgh has. Why not bring in Spencer Brown in a rotation type role, mix them up a little bit, give the rookie a couple reps and maybe help your quarterback out. I just think game plan wise, I, I agree with Sean McDermott. He's got to be better. He's got to be better on fourth downs. To not go for it on fourth and three when your Mm -hmm. offense is finally starting to get some momentum, and then go for it on fourth and eight with no real plan to make that happen. Listen, this was just, this game was bungled pretty badly for the Bills. I think that they were outcoached to Sean McDermott's point. And I think at the same time, though, with all the bad things here, and we're, we're, Mm -hmm. we're, you know, adding them up here, I do think that there's a bit of an overreaction in this moment. And I think that this group has proven in the past to be able to suffer these kinds of setbacks and make adjustments. I anticipate next week in Miami, this offense to turn it around.
2: Yeah, You know, Josh Allen's had Miami's number throughout his career. So I think if there's any team in week two that you want to see him go against, I think that's a a pretty good one. Uh, Miami, though, playing a really good game here today against New England, a very close game. So, you you know, you just never know in the NFL. But going to that offensive line, maybe the Bills – just don't feel comfortable getting Spencer Brown significant reps out there yet. I don't know what the case may be, but you know, with where Deion Dawkins was just a few weeks ago with the fact that he was hospitalized with COVID-19, the fact that he was getting winded so easily, obviously early on here. And when we saw him in the preseason, it was only in those short bursts and doses for the most part, he wasn't playing a lot of significant reps, especially meaningful reps. Preseason just are not meaningful reps. It was not a surprise that they see him struggle uh, going over to the other side of the out uh, of the side of the line with Darrell Williams. You know, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, Matt, but last year when they did play the Steelers, it felt like he was almost getting like a half step lead each snap and he was getting away with it. The refs weren't calling a false start. He was getting into a position. So that way he was where he wanted to be when it came to taking on TJ Watt. And today he, he just couldn't get in that position and Watt was getting by him uh, pretty regularly. Mitch Morris, I thought, had a pretty decent game. I thought that holding penalty against him him was questionable. Feliciano had his moments. He was flagged as well. But Dawkins was definitely with three holding penalties. uh, The weak link on the line today. And then, you know, I did just see Brian in the comments here saying, I think it's time to call Cody Ford a bust. I think to to what Matt was just saying a minute ago, If you give Cody Ford all the reps this week, next week, half the season, whatever the case may be, and he's just not performing well, then fine. If you want to label him that at that point, sure. But if you're just going to keep rotating him with Ike Butker, it's going to be very difficult for him to get into any kind of groove, any kind of rhythm. The rotation just isn't ideal, especially when you're doing every few series on the offensive line, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I just think that, First and foremost, the the line as a group today failed. I mean, they they were absolutely I – I thought that that was going into this game one of the areas where the Bills needed to win. I think we spent a lot of time on that defensive line for the Bills against the suspect offensive line. I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers would be – and I, I thought actually the Bills defensive line won that matchup in the first half. And I think it's easy to have that um, – you know uh, what happened in the second half where I felt like the, the pressure wasn't as, as prevalent Bennett, Ben Roethlisberger got to be a little bit more comfortable and, and that's something that they're going to have to remedy too. But if we're talking about where things really broke down for this team, it's, you know, and I want to get into Josh Allen and talk a little bit about him as well. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. Sorry for the delay. We'll usually be live anywhere between six 30 and seven o'clock on game days. I know, um, Uh, You guys are probably dying for it right after the game uh, for the show to go live. But I like to get to the press conference, write my story, um, get some reaction from inside the locker room. And I guess maybe we could talk about that before we get to Josh, because the frustration, I think, while tempering, you know, the emotions from the loss were prevalent on the faces of everybody that walked into that room. I mean, nobody more so than Micah Hyde. Um, who came in and you could kind of see it on his face. I mean, there was disappointment, I think inside there. I mean, Sean McDermott was saying that defense probably played well enough to win. And it just wasn't something that, you know, they were able to overcome some obstacles offensively. And that was, you know, let's get to Josh here because I think that you look at his stat line and I put it in the story that just went live under 60% in a regular season game completion rate for the first time since week five against Kansas city last year there were drops, Ryan, there was, you know, I think it was Harrison Phillips this week that was talking about, they did a study on the defensive line um, this off season and they went and they looked at different um, stats uh, based on sacks and they, they looked at stats from quarterback efficiency before getting hit in a game and after getting hit in a game and the, and the plays following a hit and the plays following when a quarterback is hit, the efficiency numbers, plummeted and if you saw today I mean four quarterback hits just by TJ Watt alone they were affecting Josh Allen throughout this game and I think that that showed
2: yeah and that's a great point that's a great stat to bring up Watt was can uh was hitting him early enough and he was getting pressure in his face right up the middle from the defense of the Steelers you know both defenses were exceptional today uh there were a few calls you'd like to have maybe come back and look at again the the holding penalty against Trey White where it just looked like Claypool was trying to go underneath him and more of a slip than anything else. Uh, I thought it was a questionable pass interference penalty against Levi Wallace where I know he didn't turn his head, but he wasn't really interfering with the body. He batted the ball. So I thought both defenses were exceptional. Um, But Josh Allen, he took a lot of hits. He took a lot of pressure in his face. And I think that definitely threw him off his game to a certain extent. He was short arming some throws. He had some throws batted, Um, just some, plays that we weren't used to seeing from him even on that flea flicker if he would have led Diggs a little bit more to the right i think he would have had that if instead it was thrown a little bit uh to the other side and it gave Sutton a chance to recover and make a play on the ball just little things here and there that that really threw Allen's day off and that you know for whatever reason really played a, a pivotal role in the, in the end of this game so like we said earlier you have games coming up against Miami who he has a lot of success against Washington, Houston, there there's, it's a long season. There's plenty of time to write the ship, but Josh Allen for the most part today did not look right.
0: So some things about the, the roster here as you know, you know, one of the things I think people really, um, emphasize in games like this where the offense doesn't produce points like you become accustomed to is, you know, starting to question Brian Dable's play calling. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there were some questionable play calls in this game, but I also think that it's easy to just go to, ah, oh, they need to run the ball more. They need to establish the run more. I mean, Devin Singletary ended up running it, uh, over 10 times today for 72 yards. This is never or 75 yards, 78 yards. Let me see, actually bring up a stat line 11 carry 72 yards Allen ran it nine times for 44, Brita four for four. Um, Zach Moss was inactive today, which I think surprised a lot of people. But this is something that we've been talking about for a a lot, Ryan. I actually showed Joe B uh, when I was coming in today. I did a little uh, pregame prediction for what I thought the inactives were going to be. The problem is I was I forgot to send it. And by the time I got to the stadium, there was so many people in and around the stadium today. Cell service was dead. And so I put my phone away. I got up here. I went and did the pregame show. I forgot to put it out. But Zach Moss was one of my five predicted uh, inactives. I had DeMar Hamlin instead of Andre Smith. So I would have been four for five. But I think this is going to be a situation week by week where they, it's going to take Zach Moss really impressing in practice to get the nod over Devin Singletary because Matt Breida brings something that he doesn't, and we learned, I think, today. I tweeted it out at the beginning of the game. When everybody got out here, the first people that got out here, Isaiah McKenzie and Matt Breida to field kicks and punts, I think that he is that primary backup for Isaiah McKenzie who, as we saw today as well, is still dealing with a shoulder issue.
2: Yeah. And that's huge for keeping Breed active on a week by week basis. You know, McKenzie opens up the game, 75 yard kick return looks unbelievable. Then he fields a punt. And and I thought of initially his reaction was oh, like pretty much him saying, oh man, I should have tried to field this one because there was some room in front of me. turns out he was actually injured, goes to the tent, uh, goes to the locker room after that too, with, with uh, what ended up being nothing too significant because he came back and played, but like you said, he's still dealing with something. Something's lingering there. Something's bothering him there. A fair catch, you shouldn't necessarily be hurting yourself if you're perfectly fine. So Brita would be the guy waiting in the wings. Breida brings some speed. And and Moss might be that odd man out early on in the season just because they still have Reggie Gilliam, who can be that fullback, who can be that tight end, and brings a lot to special teams. Obviously, Taiwan Jones, who's one of their better special teams players as well. So... You know, you know, Moss at one point last year looked like he was on track to be their number one back, and then he had, suffers the ankle injury against the Colts. And then this offseason, Devin Singletary, to his credit, really performed well. Looked good in the spring, looked good in the summer, and, and looked good today given the opportunity.
0: You know, I'm looking at the stat line here for the Bills uh receivers and forty-nine uh fifty-one attempts uh by Josh Allen in this game he went 30 for 51 270 a touchdown no interceptions i thought was impressive with the pressure that he faced that he was able to take the care of the ball as well as he did i know he had the fumble on the tj watt um pressure uh and sack but look at these stats ryan so 14 targets for stephon diggs nine catches so that's five balls where the, he was the targeted receiver and he didn't make a reception. For whatever reason, it could have been a bad pass. I think he was overthrown on the one deep ball. There were some drops in this game. Cole Beasley had 13 targets and he only made eight receptions. He had a couple of drops in this game as well. The only guy that really that I can think of off the top of my head that didn't have a drop in this game was Dawson Knox. Go figure.
2: Yeah, and I Dawson Knox is one of the reasons to be encouraged. Four targets, four receptions. Uh nice job after the catch on a few of them to move the chain. So we talked a lot about him this uh summer. He had some bad drops at camp. It was looked like it was gonna be a concern. The Bills surprised a lot of fans, surprised a lot of media members too, I think, when they when they released Jacob Hollister. But to Knox's credit, he stepped up today when his number was called. He made uh catches anytime his number was called upon. So kudos to him uh Allen you know he was slinging the ball around a lot just like last year no one should be surprised by that but like you said some bad drops Beasley dropped one uh crossing the field it was, there was there's a holding penalty on the play it would have ended up being uh third and forever had he actually caught that ball because then they would have accepted the penalty but that was bad there's one where uh his his one leg was on the ground and he dropped that too so yeah it, it's definitely uh you know there's some things to get worked out Gabriel Davis i thought was a bright spot as well uh, working along the the back of the end zone for his reception, had a 37-yard gain before that. So uh, a few bright spots here and there in the passing game. Uh, but, y- you know, the Bills might have to have a little bit more balance this year because you saw the Steelers, they were ready for the passing attack. They were expecting the Bills to pass and throw early and often, but they were also ready for that quarterback uh, design quarterback run. So they looked at a lot of the greatest hits from the Bills from last year, and they were ready for them.
0: Uh, this is the shop Buffalo football podcast brought to you by tops friendly markets from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. They have everything you need to feed the hungriest football fan. Stephen Hyde uh, over on YouTube uh, brings up something that I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit here. We need an upgraded O-line and quarterback two. Uh, question Moss, not being active. Uh, I thought we explained that a little bit and then, uh, Knox having a good game, you know, Levi Wallace, I thought made a couple good tackles in the first half today had the two big plays that, you know, most games, if you're going percentage wise, it's going to be Levi who gets tested down the sideline on those balls. And, you know, it's funny. You take the one play where he gets flagged for the pass interference. And I think he actually had a DPI again. Later in the game, too, that led to a field goal. I got to go back and watch the game. But I want to focus first on the play where I thought he was outstanding. He had great coverage, located the ball, did everything right from a defensive back standpoint that I think when we talk to Leslie Frazier tomorrow, he's going to talk about doing everything right. And sometimes you just get face a guy that makes a better play. Deontay Johnson made an absolutely phenomenal play. It's the only touchdown they give up all day. They bend but don't break. That's the defensive style. I'm not going to sit here and put, you know, when you're when you're prioritizing the guys or the areas of the game where the Bills were let down in this game. You know, Levi Wallace probably isn't even in the top five for me. I, I'll get where you, you know, get in here. He's got to get his head back turned around on that one play. It's a bad play, but it's one play. And in the end, the Bills gave up 16 points, and I thought that there was bigger problems than the play for their corner from their cornerback two spot.
2: Yeah, and I think that's fair. Listen, Ben Roethlisberger was not great by any stretch of the imagination today, but he trusts his receivers, so he just threw some balls up, and his, some of his receivers made spectacular plays, including the one that you just mentioned with Deontay Johnson. He even went after Trey White at one point to Claypool, and Claypool made an unbelievable catch along the sidelines roethlisberger at this point doesn't have the arm talent that he used to but he trusts his receivers and good things can happen whether it's catching the ball drawing penalties and that's what did happen a few times today defensive holding defensive pass interference things like that happen but at the same point to your credit 16 points allowed the defense absolutely shut down the steelers in the first half took Najee harris pretty much out of the game minus maybe one or two decent runs they were not the problem today. It was the offense. It was the special teams, especially that block punt, which we can talk about here in a little bit, uh, and the play calling on, on offense. I, I, maybe, and then maybe, maybe with Sean McDermott not being aggressive enough in certain instances that we saw last year um, where they, they were. So at, at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that went wrong for the Bills on, in all three phases, but the defense by far deserves the least amount of the blame.
0: So let's go back and, and talk about some of the performances that I thought, you know, were the good ones. And I'm sure you mentioned it in your encourage piece, and and we'll get into that a little bit. One of the guys that I was really kind of looking at in this game to, you know, with Starla Tule out was Ed Oliver, and I thought he came out and set the tone. I was, you know, he was making spl- you talk about a splash play. I mean, a four yard loss against Najee Harris. The Bills' offense didn't struggle with the way that it did. And they score points in this game. We're probably sitting here talking about the first half performance of Ed Oliver as one of the, you know, marquee storylines. 16 carries for Najee Harris, 45 yards, 2.8 per rush. I, you know, going into this this game. I think most people thought, you know, Najee Harris is going to come in here and establish him himself as the running back one. And I thought Ed Oliver was a big reason why he wasn't able to do that today.
2: Yeah, no star Latula. So I think there's a lot of uh, maybe expectations that the Seals would be able to run with more success today. And that was not the case. And like you said, Ad Oliver was just blowing up plays left and right today, moving back offensive linemen. He looked great. I thought three players that uh, Bill's fans can be pretty tough on at times had really good games. And it's unfortunate that we can't talk more about them because of the outcome of the game. I thought Ed Oliver was played really well. I thought Tremaine Edmonds had a great game, and I thought Taron Johnson. You know, he's not maybe talked about as much as those other two, but but he had a rough start to his 2020 season. He was benched at one point and then came on strong late in the year. He had a really nice game today too. Two passes uh, deflected or defense, I should say. He, I thought he played well. So, you know, you had guys in all three phases looking well. But I, Ed Oliver specifically, for a guy who you know supposedly it's a make or break year for this guy. He's got off to the right, uh, a great start. Got off on a good start in terms of getting after him, breaking, uh, stopping run plays in the backfield, making life difficult for the quarterback. You name it. I thought Ed Oliver was one of the uh, better players in today's game for the Bills.
0: Indeed. All right, so we're getting along here in the post-game shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I know Bills fans were probably hoping to have a little bit more of an exciting and uh, fun uh, game to talk about and dive into, but, you know, let's talk about this for a few minutes here, Ryan, and just what the bills can do from here to improve and, and why maybe, and maybe let me just pose this question to you and and I'll riff off you a little bit. How concerned are you? Because I kind of sit here and see what went wrong today and kind of see, five or six different paths to improvements to, you know, this was just kind of a, you know, a a really good defense. Number one, we're seeing a green Bay team uh, right now getting absolutely hammered by new Orleans. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I think I heard before we started the show that they, they're, they've only scored uh, three points. Let me see where 38 to three, new Orleans takes out green Bay today. Talk about that. I mean, that could be, you know, Really, really uh, a completely different. I felt like this was just a collection of so many things going wrong in one game. And I expect it to kind of flip as we move forward. But where where do you sit on it?
2: Yeah, my, my concern level is pretty low right now. Now, I will say if the Bills drop any of these next three games, I think you can definitely raise the the concern flag a little bit. Washington has a really good defense. They might be able to cause some fits for for the Bills in that matchup. Miami has some talented players that they're going to go against next week as well. That could be an issue, but Josh Allen's had their number. Uh, Houston, a lot better than advertised today. Obviously, they're going against Jacksonville, but uh, again, that's a game the Bills should win. So, you know, Pittsburgh's a playoff team, in my opinion. I, I said that going into this game. I believe it, obviously, even more now. So my concern's not great. I, obviously, it's a game I think the Bills could have and should have won uh, had all things gone right, had they eliminated some of these mistakes. But I, I'm not too concerned right now. Like you said, there's a few things that are going to go back and look at tomorrow and say, oh, man, you know, th- there's a touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders that should have taken place. Um, that, that's a penalty that we just can't have here. Uh, this, that, and the other. And then even with with Matt Hack, listen, you got to get the ball out a little bit faster out of your hand when you when you drop it down. Uh, It seemed like that took a long time. And it was something even my dad noticed in the preseason saying, what's going on with this punter? He's holding the ball too long. And sure enough, that was the first thing he called and told me today after the game was, hey, I told you so. So a lot of little things, Matt. I'm not concerned right now, though, because you just mentioned it. Green Bay, a Super Bowl contender, getting blown out. Uh, Not necessarily in the upper echelon of the ASC, but I think some people saw the Tennessee Titans as a possible Super Bowl contender. They lost today. The Colts, they lost today. Uh, the Browns obviously ended up falling here to the Chiefs. Uh, some late mistakes in the end. So, some teams that are in the mix, they they just don't win in week one, they they play poorly uh, for whatever reason, or they drop these games. We could go back to Thursday night, and if Zerline makes a few kicks, a few other things go the Cowboys. Well, you could be talking about the defending Super Bowl champions being 0 1 as well. So The Bills have a lot of work to do. There's no doubt about that. There's no denial, but it's one week. It's a long season. And this is one of the better teams, quote unquote, that the Bills will play this year.
0: They're not going to maybe one more. I got to look at their schedule and figure it out. They're not going to probably play another player this season in the regular season. That is that is going to be as dominant as TJ Watt was today. So I just checked out his stat line real quick as you were talking because it just popped in my head and I hadn't checked it since I think maybe the late in the third quarter, he finished the day with five tackles for a loss. Wait, wait, this can't be right. 10 quarterback hits and two sacks. That can't be right. Ryan.
2: (laughs) I I didn't see. Yeah, that'd be wild. I mean, he was after him a lot though. I just, I never did go back and look at Watts final stat line, but he was, he was in the backfield early and often, and he was just a menace all day long. So, Maybe maybe that is the final number. You know, there were some outstanding defensive performances today between Watt, Chandler Jones, and Arizona. There were some guys that just absolutely balled out on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I think that this probably is is wrong. Um, but he was outstanding today. It didn't matter. There was times I saw him beating Darrell Williams on the outside, Cody Ford shifting in to try to help out, and at times it didn't even matter. He was just Absolutely wrecking the right side of the Bills' offensive line, and so you're not going to deal with that in most week. That's that's the point, right? You move on to the next the, the next week, and another team might try to take things away from this game plan, this scheme that Pittsburgh had some success with. But here's the problem: you have to have the horses to get it done. Next week, you're going to go against a Miami team that that has a really good secondary, but I don't think they're going to be able to generate the same type of pass rush against an offensive line for the Bills that is going to be heavily motivated this week to figure thing, some things out. I mean, if I'm Sean McDermott, I'm Wednesday's practice is going to be uncomfortable for this offensive line because you're going to put them through a lot of drills, a lot of different things that is going to get them to realize that they have to step up their level of play. I don't necessarily think, you know, you look at the, the run stats here, and this is in line with what they did last season. I mean, we're talking about, 15 carries for the running backs. I don't know how many more you want than that. I think that's about in the range that you want. I don't think you probably want to throw it 50 times. And maybe if Zach Moss is active along with them, or maybe even in place of Brita, if that's what, what you think could have been the difference, I don't necessarily see that. And and as we learned, you know, I didn't know going into this game. I don't know about you, Ryan, that Brita was even in the mix. I didn't really see him taking uh, punt reps at all, really, in, 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 uh, um, summer, which I think we could probably talk about now to a degree, but I do think it was interesting to see how much we saw Isaiah McKenzie in the backfield today, lined up as a running back. I do think that that is, you know, I go to the, you know, what, what it got me thinking about is, you know, when the warriors had Devin Kevin Durant and they, he added that he, they added him to the the team that won, I think it was like six seventy two games or something crazy. And they called it the death lineup to me. Having like a four wide receiver set with Isaiah McKenzie lineup as a running back, that's the Bills version of the death lineup. And it didn't go right today, right? There were and, and it and it, it didn't go right for a lot of reasons. But that lineup to me, there's so many things that Brian Dable can do to him. And he's had bad games before before. I mean, for as many, you know, he's had much more good games play calling wise and he's had bad, but it's just like anything else. Sometimes it's it's not gonna work. You try to make adjustments, those adjustments don't work, and you got to make adjustments to the adjustments, and I think that he'll do that this week.
2: Yeah, I think that's all fair, and and with Isaiah McKenzie specifically, I think the Bills are trying to give Pittsburgh some looks early in the game that eventually give him some carries, give him some looks out of the the backfield uh, as a receiver, but once he suffered that shoulder injury, uh, that probably put a little bit of the kibosh on it. I know he came back in, handled return responsibilities, took some shots, but you don't want to have one of your playmakers necessarily taking the unnecessary shot when when he's already dealing with something that's lingering with the shoulder. So I would not be surprised if they go back to it in week two, if he, if his shoulder is better, if it's feeling uh, close to a hundred percent than it was this week, whatever the case may be. But yeah, it gives them a lot of wrinkles, which is what we've talked about and things they have to do. And listen, Brian Dable had a lot more misses than hits today on play calling, but you can point the finger in a lot of different directions uh, there was a 53-yard field goal kick that could have been attempted by Tyler Bass, and the Bills decided to go for it instead. When you when you have a kicker who's more than capable of making a kick that long, you go back, you look at something like that, and it makes you wonder. Early in the game, they had some fourth-down situations where you thought they should go for it, and they ended up punting late in the game or middle of the game, Fourth and eight, fourth and nine, they go for it, and he throws downfield into double, triple coverage, and and kind of a head-scratching decision in terms of why they were doing what they were doing there. So little things, not just Brian Dable, Sean McDermott as well. They're going to go back. They're going to look and see what went wrong, what went right, and what they can do to fix those things starting week two at Miami.
0: Scott brings up here, so what we're saying is the Bills can win the championship as long as they're not playing a premium defensive line, WTF. No, that's, that's not what we're saying. I'm saying it's week one. The, the Bills had a really crappy game. And I think to get right, you're talking about going on in the next couple where I think you have some advantageous matchups. The Bills always play well in Miami. Josh Allen has historically since he's been uh, in the NFL. Then you're talking about Houston. Washington you have some game now you're gonna you're gonna face another good so maybe that is a good kind of transition you go out you play Miami a team that you've had some success against you come back home you play Washington Chase Young's gonna come in here they're gonna have some success with their defensive line it's a good way to kind of exercise some of those demons from today inside this building but no this is a this is one week of a 17 game schedule it's the opener the Bills played Four, three or four draw. I think three series together as a starting unit in the preseason. So I, I guess my point is the overreactions are easy in these moments, but we haven't, we don't have enough data yet to project like a regression or uh, this Bills offense was a one year wonder. I, I just I'm uncomfortable with that just because we saw enough today to, that that was going wrong that could be fixed for me to kind of jump down there. Th- now, if they come out next week and it's it continues to be a problem, we're going to have a different discussion, right?
2: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. If they lay an egg in Miami, a team that they've done very well with historically with Josh Allen, then it might be a little, you know, might be a little bit closer to hitting the panic button, so to speak. That's a game the Bills should win. I, I know Miami's atop the division right now after week one, but that's still a matchup where I think the Bills have a lot of uh, advantageous uh matchups in in that game, so yeah, defeat them on the road, come back to Washington week three, deal with chase Young, deal with a you know a team that has some talent there, but a, a team that you can definitely beat uh chase young in time could certainly be t j watt or or even better than t j Watt because he showed it sometimes as a rookie how good and how special he could be, so he'll they'll have their hands full with him, but I'm not sure they have enough talent elsewhere on that defense, necessarily slow down the bill's passing attack the Bills might be able to take advantage or go against that secondary with a little more ease Houston. We've already talked about as well. Now, listen in, in a few weeks time, you know, they're going to have Kansas city on the schedule. They're going to have Tennessee who uh, did not look so hot today, but I'm sure they'll kind of be riding the ship as well. But the bills over these next few weeks have to take advantage of these three games. They should be at worst. Well, obviously at worst three and one after four weeks after dropping week one to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, this is something that's on them now. There is a little bit of pressure on it, but I think that the Bills uh, know full well that they have the talent to turn things around here very quickly. Um,
0: so one thing I want to bring up, and we're going to bring Sarah Holland in shortly. She's been uh, monitoring the chat throughout the show, and we're going to bring some of the chat uh, into the final segment of the show. But Miami gets a 17-16 to 16 win over New England, big win in New England. Uh, And so you're looking at a situation from a, from a division standpoint, Ryan, where you're one win away next week from being tied for, you know, basically leading the division at that point. And so, you know, I just think it's easy to overreact in these moments and don't do that. Let, let the season play out a little bit and, you know, take a, take a deep breath after this game, go to sleep, go to work, have a, have a good week, settle in for next week and and we'll get back after it. But one play I want to bring up that, you know, I think Sean mentioned the DPI as being a big momentum changer when Levi Wallace, they could have got a stop in third down. You know, I noticed a couple of times and I think I saw some, some fan chatter uh, as well on social media. I thought the holding calls did not go both ways. I, I thought that Jerry Hughes, there was two plays in particular that I thought he was held pretty egregiously and there was no flag called I just you know sometimes you, you sit in there watching that from a fan perspective I've, I think I can understand the frustration and I tweeted out to me the most uh, the biggest miss of the referees in this game was the holding penalty called on Tredavious White I gotta go back and watch that a couple times but it looked like the receiver tripped more than anything Happen with the contact that it, I mean, that's a huge play. The bills get an interception there up 10, nothing in Pittsburgh territory. Even if they get a field goal, you're talking about completely flipping the like really putting Pittsburgh in a tough spot. The Steelers go on go down to hit a field goal, kind of keep them in the game mentally. Those are kind of big plays that, you know, Good teams have to respond from, but there were extenuating circumstances happening in this game that if one or two things happen differently, we may be talking about the Bills winning today.
2: Yeah, and one of those Jerry Hughes holds that I, I believe you're referring to actually happened on that Trey White play where he came up with the interception. I thought at worst that should have been offsetting penalties holding against Hughes, and then if you're going to call the defensive holding on Trey White, so be it. They rerun the play. Uh, because Hughes actually had initial pressure, got a hand on Roethlisberger, and then he kind of got pulled away from him. That's where I thought the holding kind of came in and it was never called. But listen, you know, at, at the end of the day, yeah, there's always going to be some questionable calls by the officials, but the officials did not cost Buffalo this game in any uh, way or, or form. And I know that's not what you're saying and not what I'm saying, but the, the Bills simply have to be better. Defense was was great today. They, they looked like the defense that we saw early in Sean McDermott's tenure. The offense, too many missed opportunities, too many, uh, especially field position early in that game. I thought Buffalo had really good field position that they just could not take advantage of. Little things that need to get cleaned up, and Miami is going to be a, a good chance for them to get that done. And like you said, they win in Miami. All of a sudden, you're tied in, in uh, for first place in the AFC is heading into Week Three.
0: All right, we are going to bring in Sarah Holland now, who has been. Checking out all of your comments, and Sarah, uh, what have been uh, some of the biggest things that people are talking about tonight?
1: So there's a lot of chat um, about Josh Allen and his play, and I know we've talked a little bit about this so far, but a lot of fans are saying that it starts with the O-line, and there's some worry about the lack of depth and the future of this O-line. So I just sort of wanted you guys to talk a little bit more about that and just see um, and hear your opinions.
0: Yeah, depth is is definitely a concern because, Ryan, once you get past – I mean, John Feliciano is pretty entrenched at left guard. I thought he struggled today. And he's – at this point, talking about your interior outside of Mitch Morse, he's your highest-paid interior player. And so what's the options past him? Moving like Bucker into that spot and seeing how Bucker and Ford look. I feel like you've had all of this time to evaluate them – um you've landed on this this unit that, that went out there today i almost feel like they got to get to a, a and this kind of takes me back to the cody ford point i wonder and this is my uneducated opinion i'm not a football coach but i really wonder if they're not doing themselves a disservice by how they're handling cody ford continuing to to put him in this spot it's got to be weird even levi wallace who is about his um You know, polarizing as it comes as a player. When you're talking about, you know, the fan base and and their expectations, he gets to go out there and start games and playing games. Cody Ford, it seems like it doesn't matter what the guy does, he can't get a job.
2: Yeah, the, the depth is a concern because they have some quality guys that can come in in spots and play a few snaps here and there. But the starting five or maybe six, if you consider Butker and, and, Ford's rotation, put like a, a six lineman, it's a concern because Spencer Brown, he's a rookie. I think, I think his ceiling is extremely high. I think as the year goes on, you'll see him get used more, but if, if anything were to hap- happen with Dawkins and Williams, if they continue to struggle, the bills might have to force him into the lineup sooner rather than later. You saw Tommy Doyle was inactive today, which no surprise, he's, he was not r- really ready for NFL action, but you had to keep him on that 53 man roster because there's so many NFL teams looking for offensive line help. They have people that can come in and play different positions. They have versatile players, but they don't necessarily have a lot of other guys that you can say, well, this guy could come in and start, and you'd feel really confident about them. Now, in terms of what they can do, you you could have Reggie Gilliam in in your backfield more as a fullback, someone that stays back there as an additional blocker or keep one of your backs in there. Uh, so Josh Allen isn't, doesn't feel like he always he has to scramble about two or three seconds into a play or move up in the pocket, roll out. It, it felt like maybe that was also part of the outcome today. Maybe he had a little bit of happy feet because he knew that his, his bookends were getting beaten on a regular basis. So the Bills are going to look at this. They know that they can't magically make an, an all-pro guard or tackle appear out of thin air, so they're going to have to figure out and scheme different ways to keep extra protection back there to keep Josh Allen upright. I'm not an
0: uh, O-line expert, but I've seen some comments here. If you think Ike Butker is better and you're the Bills, put him in there then. Put him in there. If if Cody Ford isn't good enough to have the job, then put Ike Butker in there. I don't necessarily think Ike Butker is this significant upgrade over Cody Ford, but, you know, going to have to go back, watch it again. Sarah, what else are they talking about?
1: Um, There's also been a lot of chat about the penalties. Obviously, that was a huge problem in today's game. I almost felt like the Bills were fighting the refs throughout the duration of the game. And we all know Sean McDermott was probably not pleased with how many penalties the bills um, took. So what do you guys think the bills have to do in order to um, prevent this from happening in week two?
2: Well, you know, that just comes down to a game by game basis in terms of the officiating crew, how they let them play. We've seen games where you can get, be very physical in terms of defensive backs and nothing gets called. We've seen other games where, Uh, you're barely touching a guy and flags are are thrown. So that's part of it. That's absolutely it. And going to the Levi Wallace play specifically, one referee closer to the play, didn't throw a flag on that. It was the official further back that threw the flag after the play. And, And the ref had every right to do that. Levi didn't turn his head, but like I said, he didn't interfere with the receiver. He got his hand on the ball, batted it down. That was one of those questionable plays. The holding, there's not much you can do because some of them were very blatant. I mean, you saw Deion Dawkins just pull someone down a few times because he was beaten badly. Uh, Feliciano's hold, Daryl Williams, you know, you know, some of these guys that were beaten. What can you do other than hopefully next week they're they're in a better stance or in a better position to take on those blockers? But Sean McDermott's definitely going to uh, chew out that team, I think, here sooner rather than later about the penalties and. and Talk about technique. Talk about putting themselves in better situations.
0: Yeah, I think that you said it pretty well there. We talked about the penalties pretty significantly. I want to tell another story. Uh, I I want to tell a story about something earlier in the game and about just the day as a whole. But, Sarah, why don't you hit us with that that third and final thing that you had from the comments?
1: Um, A lot of people were also talking about the blocked punt, which I know I believe was a major turning point in the game. So if you guys want to expand off that, I know that was a big uh topic in the chat tonight.
0: Yeah, say that again because you broke up on my end, sorry.
1: Um just about the block punt, it was talk. it was being talked a lot about in the chat tonight.
0: Gotcha. So yeah, Ryan <laughs> Ryan's dad is the aficionado uh that that caught this earlier in the thing. It's funny. Matt Matt Hawk I, for, for as bad of a play as that one, I thought he had a couple of really well-placed punts in this game, and um, if not for that one moment, you'd probably go away from this game thinking that, okay, not a bad start for him. I know over the course of Corey Bajorquez's career, they've had some some issues uh, with him as well, trying to develop him, but it's just a situation where you can't put yourself in a game like this against a team like this, and the Bills are going to have some of these games. I mean, they played Tennessee. In a few weeks, they play Kansas City in a few weeks, even Washington to a lesser degree. You can't put yourself in these kinds of position where your special teams is letting in touchdowns like that. I mean, it's it you talk about protecting the ball for Josh Allen. It's just as important, if not more, that your special teams protects the ball. So that's got to be something that I know that Heath Farwell and company are going to harp on this this offseason. And, you know, they liked Matt Hawk a lot. And but he's got to make sure that he's not putting the team in a position to, you know, lose games I mean it comes down to that play at this in, in this game
2: yeah Hawk has to uh, move along his his speed in terms of dropping the ball kicking it but on that specific play I, I think there was a lot more than just Hawk in terms of how long it took him to get that ball off uh, some some guys were clearly beaten up the middle there were some stunts there were some moves where the Bills just weren't ready for it and that ultimately is what led to the block pump more than anything else so Matt and I have talked all summer about how the Bills consider special teams almost just as important as offense and defense. And that's why they keep so many players that are special teams contributors. And in a crucial moment, that unit failed. And by then that made it a 10 point game really swung the momentum in Pittsburgh's favor. It was already trending that way. But when you got a double digit lead there, things obviously were not looking well from that point on.
0: So I want to bring up a story before we get out of here. And um, it happened at the beginning of the game and I was kind of just taking it all in and looking around at the beginning of the game. And there was literally not a seat open in this house. And the energy was really high. And they didn't do this last year where they obviously there weren't fans. So they didn't introduce like the players before the game. But they introduced the offense today. And there was just this like little moment where the fan and me went back to being, you know, 13 years old and watching this team in this stadium for some of the biggest. And and I just had a moment where I looked around at, you know, some kids faces like teenagers and, you know, little boys, little girls around the, um, the stadium that were probably really watching this team for the first time with the hopes that they have for this team this year. And Josh Allen came out on the field and he was just unbelievably hyped up. And who knows, maybe that impacted the way he played a little bit. But it was just a cool moment that everybody got to be here and experience that, like feel that feeling at the beginning of the game with the eyes of the country on this game. And it's disappointing that they they lose like this, but I think that the thing to take out for me, and I've gotten text messages from family members, you know, the ones that always overreact at your grandfather's house on Sundays when you know the coach stinks and the quarterback stinks and everything, everybody stinks. Nothing, nothing that's happened in the past or the future matters. It's all about today and what happened today. And I just want to tell everybody, it's I liked one of the comments that came out, and I think that Sean does a really good job at bringing things back to 100, you know, for everybody. And he said, it's never as good as it seems. And it's never as bad as it seems. And I think it's so easy to overreact to it because these six, 17 games each week is so big. And I know there's a lot of people hurting right now that, you know, put so much into this opener. And, you know, as media, we, we put a lot in this too. This was a big day for the city and just the craziness of the day. Take a deep breath. It's going to be Okay. I'm not changing my expectations at all for this team and what I think that they're going to be this year, Ryan.
2: Yeah, I think that's well said. Yeah, the atmosphere uh, obviously was electric. They were reporting early in the morning that players were stuck in traffic, couldn't even get into the stadium on time or the time that they wanted to be there. So it's always interesting traffic wise at Bills games, but it was really backed up today. Uh, fans were, were going wild pregame. You, you saw a lot of pictures on social media about what was going on out there. You had former pro wrestler, Tommy dreamers throwing people through tables. <laughs> uh, so, you know, is after, there video of
0: that out there yet?
2: I'm sure there is. I have to go back and look, but I'm sure it's either on brother Bill's account or Trainwreck wreck sports. I'm sure one of them have that up there and running now. Uh, but yeah, the, like you said, Matt, I mean, expectations through the roof. A lot of Bills fans see this team as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, which as they should, the Bills made to the championship game one year ago. A lot of the CBS analysts, three of them had the Bills in the Super Bowl. They might be rethinking that after week one, at least uh, on their end, because they don't watch the Bills as closely as we do. But this team has all the talent, has all the potential. They just have to work out the kinks. It wasn't as good as 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 things could have gone. It wasn't as bad. They'll go back. They'll fix a lot of these issues. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see how they come out in week two on the road against Miami. Sarah,
0: how was your first game working for Syracuse.com?
1: It was awesome. I loved it.
0: Awesome. All right. We're going to have more for you this week. I think we have two shows planned uh, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm working on some guests. Uh, Wednesday may just be uh, a regular show. And then I I hopefully have a big guest on Thursday. We'll see. Uh, But we're going to bring two shows to you guys this week. Uh, Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Get to the 190 just past Hamburg Street. The big Shout Bills um, podcast uh, billboard is up. If you take a selfie with it and get it to us, you can email to us, DM us on Twitter. You're entered into a contest. The, the winners, the two there's two grand prizes. One person will appear as a guest for an entire show on the Shout Buffalo football podcast. And one grand prize winner will win dinner for three. At your favorite Buffalo wing joint with Ryan Talbot and Matt Perino. We will treat you. We will talk Bills football. We will hang out and be jolly. But you got to go to the billboard and you got to take a selfie and you got to get it to us. The best way to do it is to tweet it at us. We're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, hosting a large party next weekend. Check out Tops's huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy football
2: all right Ryan final thought final thought don't panic just yet Bills fans it's one week it's a long season let's see what takes place next week all right we're
0: out of here for Sarah Holland uh, I'm Matt Perino he's Ryan Talbot we will see you on Wednesday